right at home. Um, please open your Bibles to Proverbs 17. I'm really glad you children are in this meeting today because we're going to talk about having friends. Having friends. Now, this was not a message written for children. It was written for adults because I don't think we really understand much about what it means to have a friend, what it means to be a friend. And so I want you to start by thinking, do you have friends? Do you have friends? Think about those friends. Just about everybody wants to have friends. But it seems we don't do much thinking about what it means to have a friend. We don't do much thinking about what it means to be a friend. We want to be with friends that we enjoy being with. We want friends who will help us out when we need help. Uh, if you're young, you want friends who are your age. Friends who are not the age of your little brothers and sisters, but friends who are your age that you can do things that you like to do. Um, but there's more to friendship than that. There's more to friendship than laughter and enjoyment. There's more to friendship than just enjoying being with people. Choosing friends and being a friend to others is one of the most important things we can do in life. But we really don't think much about it. So I'd like, you, I'd like to get you thinking about this. What is friendship from the Bible? Now, here's why I originally chose to develop this material. We in the evangelical churches over the last 50 years have had a lot to say about marriage. We've sought to strengthen the marriage bond in an age when divorce became common and people gave up on marriage or said that marriage is something that it was never meant to be. So in our churches, we put a huge emphasis on marriage. And I think this had two unfortunate and unintended consequences. It left unmarried people feeling like they'd been left out in the cold. And it loaded expectations onto a marriage that I do not think a marriage alone should bear. Now, throughout my adult life and really through my whole adult life, I've been married to Nancy, and I've always said she is my best friend. And later, when you hear my description of the friendship, you'll say, oh yeah, okay, I get that. But Nancy is more than a friend. Nancy is my wife. Our bonds are covenantal. We are bound together in God with a bond that should not be broken. So my bond to my wife should be greater than the bonds of friendship. So while a marriage may have some of the same qualities that we see in a friendship, it does not mean that these qualities should only exist in a marriage. Nor does it mean that a married person should not have friends apart from his or her 
spouse. And it certainly doesn't mean that an unmarried person cannot have friendships that allow for companionship and loyalty and personal intimacy and help in time of need. In fact, as we'll see later, it's Jesus himself who opens the door for us to experience the richest kind of friendship possible. So just because the Bible forbids sharing kinds, the, the kinds of intimacy that are unique to a marriage, it doesn't mean that a person, whether that person is married or unmarried, cannot have very close, very intimate friendships. So what we're going to see as we go through Scripture is that Jesus becomes our model. Uh, Jesus had very close, personal friendships with his disciples. He was especially close to three of them. And so we should expect friendship to flourish wherever the Spirit of Jesus resides. And he resides right here in his people as we join together as a church. So here's what we're going to go through today. We're going to move through three phases of this message. First, we're going to get a definition of friendship. Then we're going to show how Jesus extends friendship to us. And then I'd like to offer some practical advice for us as we seek to cultivate friendship. And parents, I would encourage you to not only ponder these things for your own life, but I would encourage you to Train your children in how to think about friendship and not just let it be undefined and develop based on what may not always be the best desires. So, number one, a definition of friendship. Now, before we go to the Bible, I want to go away from the Bible. And I want to talk about somebody who defined friendship thousands of years ago a really smart guy who was very good at putting things in categories. His name was Aristotle. And he wrote a book on ethics, how to live the good life. And he said there's three kinds of friends. And I found this really interesting when I read this. He said the first friends are those friends who are helpful. These are the people who help us get along in life. It might be a friend at work who helps you get your next job, or a friend that you share tools with each other, or you do home maintenance projects together, Uh, a, a friend that you share a hobby with. It might be a teammate on your team. It might be somebody who just gives you good advice. He's a friend. Those are helpful friends. Aristotle said, there are also people that I'm going to call fun friends. These are people we just like hanging out with. These are people we like doing things with because they are enjoyable people. They may be really funny or really interesting to talk with, or they may host really fun parties. They are fun friends. Now, Aristotle noted, and this was very insightful of him, is that we get helpful friends, and we get fun friends because of what they give us. 
We choose them because they bring something to our life that benefits us. But there's a downside to that. I want to quote Aristotle. He said, such friendships are easily dissolved. For if the one party is no longer pleasant or useful, the other ceases to love him. So those kinds of friendships that are helpful or fun, those kinds of friendships are easily dissolved. And then Aristotle mentions a third category of friend. This is the friend who is a friend for your sake. In other words, this friend forms the bond of the good, forms this bond for the good of the other person. If you're his friend, you don't leave him if he can't help you anymore or if he's no longer fun to be with. Aristotle said that these kinds of friendships are extremely rare. He goes on to say such friendship requires time. Okay? Time like years of time together. And familiarity. He said these kinds of friendships have to be tested over time through regular experience. So the real bond of friendship doesn't form until, and I'm quoting him again, each has been found lovable and has been trusted by each other. This category you would call true friends. So there's nothing wrong with having fun friends. Or having helpful friends. We all need those kinds of relationships. But then there is this category of true friends. Now you think about friendship in our country. And friendship is all about who can help me get what I want. Whether it's in politics or business or schools or sports. It's all about who can help me. And it's sad to say, this applies to us as Christians too. We live in a very selfish society. And so we often think of our friendships in terms of what we receive from our friends. And if we don't make that distinction, what we're going to find is when the hard day comes... When suddenly we're not as enjoyable to be with, suddenly we're not as useful, we lose some abilities that we've had, friends go away. Friendship has been so degraded in America that most of us never experience true friendships the way Aristotle defines them. We're left with useful and present friends. And, and, and I, I don't even want to talk about Facebook friends which is not a friendship at all as far as I'm concerned. But I do think as Christians, we need to evaluate what kind of friendship we offer to others. And we need to ask ourselves if our friendships are more about what I get out of the relationship than a commitment to the person himself. Okay, so that's Aristotle. You have useful friends, helpful friends, fun friends. And true friends. What does the Bible have to say about friendship? You know, there are over 100 times that the word friend is used 
in the translation of the Bible that we read in this church, the English Standard Version. Now, more than half of those uses don't define friendship. They don't say anything about friendship. They just say, he was David's friend. He was the king's friend. They just call two people friends. It may be someone you do things with, someone who's welcomed in your home, you're welcomed in his home, but it's not defined. But then when you get to the Old Testament books of Job and the Psalms, you often hear about friendship in terms of a friendship lost. A friend has been abandoned or rejected or betrayed. So Psalm 38, verse 11, the psalmist says, My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Got really sick, and all his friends said, I don't want to get near that. Or Psalm 55, 20, My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. Okay, so he was trusted as a friend, but he did bad to people who trusted him. So in both these Psalms, we learn something, the failure of friendship, and we don't see friendship in a positive light. But we can learn from these failures of friendship that a person trusts his friends. A person discloses himself to his friends. He gives his friends private access to private information that makes him vulnerable to being harmed by them. And in the Psalms, you often find that a friend did real harm. It hurt worse because you trusted him. Now we go to the book of Proverbs. I can remember I told you to turn to Proverbs 17, so so be there because we're about to get there. When we look deeper into the book of Proverbs, we learn more about what to look for in a friend. And you find in Proverbs that there is a category for helpful friends. Proverbs 14, verse 20, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Or Proverbs 19, 4, wealth brings new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Or Proverbs 19, 6, everyone is a friend to a generous man who gives gifts. Now, Don't get these Proverbs wrong. They're not saying, you want to have a lot of friends? Get a lot of money. That's not what that's about. What this verse is inviting you to do is to think, what attracts my friends to me? Are they my friends simply because they get something out of me? So we got to think that way. It may be that they seek relationship with you for what you have to give them. And if what you have to give runs out, they're going to run out too. So these are not verses that commend getting rich for the purpose of getting friends. So now we can get to a real definition of friendship from the Bible. And we're going to look at it in Proverbs chapter 17. The first point about friendship is a true friend is a constant friend. 
A true friend does not change your relationship when your life gets hard or makes his life harder. Look at chapter 17, verse 7. Oh dear, I have the wrong reference in here. 17, thank you. Good job. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. True friend loves at all times. He stays close regardless of the circumstances. When you are in trouble, he runs toward you. Okay, so a true friend is a constant friend. Now, flip over to chapter 27. Chapter 27, Proverbs 27. Next point, a true friend corrects you. A true friend tells you the truth about yourself, even if it hurts, even if it offends you. So chapter 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So you want, you want friends who faithfully wound you by telling you things you don't want to know about yourself. And if all your friend does is tell you how wonderful you are, that's all you ever hear, well, you better beware that that's not a true friend. Third, a true friend is sincere. A true friend is sincere. A true friend gives you carefully thought out counsel. Proverbs 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Okay? Sincere counsel. Just really wants to help you as much as he can. So he's not just giving advice, just like he doesn't care. He's earnest. And it's a sweet thing that somebody cares about you so much that they think deeply and hard and are urging you with their counsel. And then the last quality that we find in Proverbs is that a true friend is reliable. A true friend is reliable. A true friend has a history of showing up when you need help. A true friend can be relied upon to drop everything to help you in a time of need. He can be even more reliable than a relative. Proverbs 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Isn't that interesting? Your friend, your father's friend. So if it's your father's friend, it's a friend that's been around for a generation already. And so that friend who lives near you, who's your neighbor, is going to be more reliable than a relative who's far away. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says this about this verse. In crisis, 
the son should turn to a tried and tested friend who lives nearby and is ready to meet his needs, not to a relative who lives far away and or is not emotionally accessible. True friend is reliable. You can count on him. This pairs well with Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So you see how the Bible, the Bible defines true friendship very differently than the world does. So let's summarize. A friend is a companion. He's always welcomed into your home. You're always welcomed into his. He does things with you that are often mutually beneficial. You both gain from what you do together. You let him into your life to an extent that he can take advantage of you if he wants to. He sticks with you when your life gets hard. He's willing to offend you by telling you truths you may not want to hear. But you know his counsel is sincere. You can depend on a true friend in a crisis. So remember I said, Nancy is my best friend? Well, all these qualities should be present in a marriage. But anyone can have other relationships that are deep friendship, that are true friendship, that doesn't require a marriage bond. And I think many of us in this room have experienced that over many years. I think you understand this because I know you. These kinds of friendships used to be common. I was reading a biography of Abraham Lincoln and the author was quoting letters that he exchanged with his friends. And these letters were very intimate and very affectionate. And the writer had to explain that this was not representing something that was bad in any way, that this wasn't a a romantic relationship, but that this just represented men who were true friends. That their friendships transcended politics. That they stuck together whether the person's political star was rising or falling. We live in an age, and this is in all of us, okay? This is not those people out there. We live in an age of radical selfism. Where you measure all your life about what you're going to get out of everything. And so you move on from friends if they're no longer beneficial to you. Well, we've got to restore true friendship. And the reason we need to do it is because of the second point in this message. And that is that we are friends of Jesus. We're friends of Jesus. Turn over, please, to John chapter 15. This is an astounding passage 
of Scripture. John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, literally slaves. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you love one another. Now, Jesus didn't need Aristotle to know this. Jesus didn't read Aristotle. Jesus draws on his definition of friendship and his friendship with his disciples. He draws on a long Jewish history that's rooted in the Old Testament. So Abraham is called the friend of God by Isaiah in chapter 41, by the author of Chronicles in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and by James, the writer of the New Testament letter. Abraham was the friend of God. God calls Moses his friend in Exodus 33. And there is a position, this is a job you never thought you'd want to get, but in the monarchy where the the kings of of Israel in the Old Testament, you could become the friend of the king. The king would appoint you and say, you're my friend. You didn't go to the king and say, hey, you're going to be my friend. No, the king said, you will be my friend. So there's a long history of this idea about Jesus appointing people. Jesus is the king appointing the disciples as his friend. So this kind of friendship, this friendship with God, this friendship with Jesus is not a relationship that's mutual. Okay, it's, it's top down. Jesus is in charge and you're his friend. He makes the choice. The king decides who his friends are. You don't get to choose. He chooses you. But, and if you're his friend, you do whatever he needs doing. So he says, I, you know, I got a job for you to do. I need you to do it. You're my friend. And so you say, oh, yeah, yeah, right. I'm your friend. I will do that. But you know what was amazing about being a friend of the king? is the king would tell you his inner thoughts and plans. You'd get insider information about why he was doing the things he was doing, about why he was asking you to serve in the way you were serving, because you were his friend. Now, what I read to you from John 15 about Jesus calling the disciples, and then those of us who have believed based on the disciples' words, He calls us his friends. Church, this is 
Astounding. I, God's King, Jesus Christ, has chosen to make you His friend. By choosing to love you, by disclosing Himself to you, and by enlisting you in His work of bearing fruit. So in verse 13, He says, You're becoming my friend. I'm laying down my life for you. There's no greater love I could show to you than to die for you. In verse 15, He says, I'm going to disclose Myself to you. You're going to know what your Master is doing you. Is doing. You're not like a slave where I just say, do this. He says, I don't know why. I'm going to tell you. And we know, we know, we got the inner, the inner information here in the Bible about why Jesus has asked us to do the things that we do. And then in verse 16, He appoints you to go forth and bear fruit in His name. In other words, when you do His work for Him, people understand that it's Jesus who's at work. This is an enormously privileged position to have with God. He has been a true friend to us. He died for us. When we were His enemies, He died for us. And now He says, I could easily make you my slaves, but I'm making you my friends. We become friends of the King. And that should be what informs True friendship. So, let's summarize with this new information. A true friend sacrifices himself for your good. A true friend discloses his inner thoughts and plans to you. And these are qualities that we can bring into our friendships today. Now, I want to conclude this message by just giving you a little practical advice. Things that I've observed over a lifetime. First, true friends give friendship expecting nothing in return. See, a message like this can tempt some to discontentment. You know, I don't have any friends like that. It's like sometimes you hear a message on marriage and you think, my marriage is not like that. We need to recognize that God has shaped our lives and our history just as it is. And we can't change other people. Okay, can't go out and, well, I'm going to make all these people my friends. No, what we can do is give friendship expecting nothing in return. So my advice is to seek to be a friend. Who has God called me to be a friend to? And begin to or continue to or value what you already have as you walk through life together. We love others because God loved us. We don't love others because they love us. We love others because God loved us. And there was nothing lovely or lovable about us when he chose to love us. And so we take from Jesus that that's the kind of friend we're supposed to be. We should not be solely seeking friendship for what we can get out of it, whether it's help or fun. 
Second piece of practical advice is that true friends are first friends of God. You cannot have true friendship as the Bible defines it with a non-believer. In fact, James 4 tells us that friendship with the world creates hostility from God. James's concern is that we not form the kinds of friendships that then make us like the world. So in friendship with a non-believer, we've got to recognize there's a spiritual separation here. And we we can't we can't in the name of friendship begin to adapt to that person's values and loves and desires. I think that makes sense, but we need to be aware of it because we have many friendships in life with people who don't know Jesus. Now, the Bible doesn't say we should avoid relationships with people in the world. In fact, we should seek to do good to all, and we should show self-sacrificing love to the non-believers we know, just as Jesus loved us. But true friendship can only come if we both have in us the spirit of Jesus. And so we're moving in the same direction. We love the same things because we love what Jesus loves. Third, True friendship takes time. Friendships grow when we do things with the same people year after year. We live in a very mobile society, and I've often dear church members who've been deeply involved in the church move to another city they go to a different church and they say i'm just having a hard time breaking in i'm i'm having a hard time and what they're thinking is by 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 going to a new church they can just automatically have the f- kinds of friendships that they had cultivated over 10 or 20 years previously it doesn't work like that Because I, 10 years ago, went to a new church to be a pastor, I realized they had no reason to trust me. They didn't know me. They didn't watch how I handled situations. They, they didn't watch me as I was with them in desperate times. But over time, you develop the kind of trust. You can disclose your life to others because you've developed this. American society has lost this. We are a scattered, dissipated people. I do not see how true friendship can be conducted solely over electronic media or by only seeing one another outside of our communities a few times a year. I've heard people say, well, I'm not really close with anybody in the church, but I get together with my friends from college once a year, and they're the ones who know me best. No, it's the friends who are nearby that you need, the ones who see you week to week. The other problem with friendship in America is that we live in a trade-up society. We live in a trade-up society. Always looking for better car, 
better house, better climate, better spouse. And I'm sure you've seen the same with friends. See, to develop friendship, I'd advise you to start with those believers God has already put in your life, especially those believers in your church. Because these are people that you see once a week and do the most transcendent, holy, spiritual thing you could ever do, and that is gathering with other people to worship Jesus, to hear His Word, to pray to Him together. There's no greater intimacy than worship together in a relationship. So I would urge you to think about friendships in that way. For pleasant friends, you can join a club. True friends are a gift of God, and it takes time to develop those kinds of relationships. And then lastly, and very briefly, I want to say something about male-female friendships. Uh, Recently, uh, this would especially be true of young people, and it's come up in politics in that Mike Pence says that he will not take a female colleague out to dinner unless his wife is with him, which caused a huge kerfuffle in Washington, uh, as well as a reevaluation of courtship in evangelical churches and this new emphasis on men and women forming friendships and that they should be free to form friendships and they shouldn't be afraid of having male-female friendships. Now, I went to a public high school and it was the early 1970s and the feminist movement was taken off and I was continually told that men and women were equal in every way. Now, men and women are equal in many ways, but they are very different in some ways. And all the boys in my high school and all the girls got this. So if you begin to form a true, intimate friendship with a member of the opposite sex, there is going to be an intimacy that builds toward an intimacy that should only be known in marriage. And so my advice is to have plenty of helpful friends, plenty of fun friends. But when it comes to disclosing your life and opening up your heart, we should not do that with members of the opposite sex unless both are unmarried and are seeking to discern whether they should be married. So I think, you know, typically we get it wrong in one way and we just go to the other extreme and make a mess over there so the next generation will get it wrong in the way their grandparents did. It just seems that that's how we always work. But the point is, we need to be wise and act according to principles when it comes to male-female relationships. I don't want to give any laws. I don't want to give any lists of the laws of friendship. The Bible speaks in Proverbs. The Bible gives us the example of Jesus, and that's what we follow here. So let me conclude by just stepping back for a minute and getting a bigger picture. 
Marriage is not to be the sum total of our, our relational experience in this world. Jesus expects his church to take on the qualities of a family with its members relating as brothers and sisters. And within this family, he's given us friends, companions who walk with us and know us deeply throughout our lives. I have come to treasure the friendships I have. And I have come to learn that I can have friends as an old man with young men. And I've come to treasure them too. And to disclose myself and open up my life and it not just be a one-way kind of relationship. So I want to urge you to think about this and to think about who are those God has placed in your life that you should extend friendship to? Who are those who have been unappreciated, unappreciated, who've been a friend to you, a true friend. The experts tell us that America has become a nation of lonely people. I saw in the news media recently that in the United Kingdom they had appointed a, a minister of loneliness, uh, you know, some, because people are ending up and say, this is what's happening with baby boomers. You, you live your life selfish, and you end up alone. And so, as we create a counterculture that reflects Jesus and is animated by the Spirit of Jesus, we can show the world what human relationships are to be like. It doesn't have to be true of us. It doesn't have to be true. I go to church, but I feel so lonely. Nobody knows me here. If you've been in a church a long time and you are pursuing fellowship with one another, that should not be the case. And so we need to give ourselves, to disclose ourselves, to open ourselves to correction, to give correction, to run to each other in a time of need, not run away. Our calling is to be like Jesus. And freely to be friends to others. And as we give, may he give back in every way. Let's pray. Oh, Father. Father, pray that the, the truth of your word as revealed in Proverbs and Psalms and especially as revealed in Jesus, the truest of true friends, that we would evaluate our lives and become like our Savior, giving friendship away. And that this would be a church that is bound together in love. That the newest person is welcomed in and that we are faithful to those relationships God has given us over a lifetime. And that you would show us how this applies, Lord. That you would show us how this applies, that we might teach our children about friendship. And that we might grow up reflecting Jesus Christ 
and all the goodness that he brought to this world. Even in a lonely age, even in a hostile age, Lord, that we might be the sweetest people on earth because we are friends of God through Jesus and we extend friendship to one another. We ask you this and that this word would have an impact on our lives through Jesus. Amen.